she was talking to me like, you know, oh my God, your hair is beautiful. Oh my God, your English is good. You know, all of this in Amharic. And I was like, this is an opportunity and I'm not going to pass it. She thinks I am, you know, this accomplished, beautiful, perfect girl. And she is basically telling me these negative things about her own daughter, who is almost the same age as me because she has a mental illness problem and she doesn't understand it. So I told wow. her, see that room over there? I used to be in there. That was wow. me. I was in that ward. Hey, mamas. Welcome to Motherhood at Your Best with your host, Barry Gebrehewitt. This podcast is all about a community of moms who are on a journey of self-discovery, self-love, personal development, and growth in motherhood, marriage, and business. They say pressure makes diamonds, so I like to think that with the pressures that come with motherhood and doing the work of self-discovery, the outcome on the other end of that pressure is a beautiful diamond that shines bright. Join us every other week to hear from real women in our community and their stories of perseverance and becoming diamonds in the process of it all. And now, on to the show. Hi, Timmy. Hi, Barry. <laughs> Thank you so much for being with me today, taking the time out of your Mother's Day weekend to chat. I appreciate it. It is absolutely my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yes, of course. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself, um, your kids, um, your your background, and we'll dive into your platform and a little bit of what you do after. That sounds good to me. So my name is Timurt. I am uh, the creator behind Unchaining Me. It's uh, uh, a blog, a YouTube, a podcast, um, an Instagram, Facebook page, just you name it. Um, and I am a mother to four kids, two of them biological and two, two of them, I call them my love kids uh, from my husband's previous marriage. So I'm a stepmother and a mother as well. Um, um, two of them are 13, two boys that are um, 13 years old, um, my son and my stepson. And then my stepdaughter is eight years old. And the little one that I have with my husband is only two, Noella. Mm-hmm. And so I love being a mom. I love being a stepmom. It's uh, one of the most rewarding things, one of the most rewarding really um, relationships that I've formed in my life is with my with all of my kids. And I am um, a blogger, YouTuber, podcast host, uh, but I'm also uh, preparing to become a life coach. I'm almost um, certified as a life coach to work one-on-one, not just raising, you know, the the collective um, consciousness with the things that I write and share, but also to help specifically women to overcome the limitations that they face, even, you know, beginning from and especially from their inner um, critic, their inner beliefs and thoughts. Um, So, yeah, in short, that is that is who I am. That's amazing. Um, I love that. And I actually um, remember a few of your early posts on Facebook, because that's where I met you. Um, about your stepchildren and your relationship with them and your relationship with their mother. And I remember being blown away by that. Like, wow. Um, There's, you know, of course, there's just, you know, that taboo of that relationship dynamic. Um, Mm. But even further, 
to um, see you be so open and so genuine and vulnerable about that relationship for you know, as a Habesha woman to me was just mind blowing. And um, yeah, I just remember that sticking out in my mind of like, wow, she is amazing. <laughs> um, yeah, so tell us about Unchaining Me. Um, I love the platform. I love your courage and vulnerability of sharing your experiences and your stories on there. Um, what led up to you starting the blog, wanting to share you know, some of those personal um, experiences on a public platform? Mm-hmm. Um, so unchaining me began from, well, me finding out I was chained. <laughs> really? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's it, the word itself is, you know, it signifies a process. It signifies a journey. Uh, bear in mind, it doesn't say unchained me, uh, because sometimes we think it's, you know, there's a destination and we need to just, you know, run to get to that destination and get it becoming out, outcome focused in many mm-hmm. things in life. And we get disappointed. Because when we mm-hmm. get there, there's still yet something else that we need to pursue or the answers are not all there. So it signifies a process or a journey where we dive courageously into ourselves. Um, no corners left um, you know, undiscovered or um, um, not seen with curiosity. And we dive into our stories, the stories that we tell ourselves. Mm-hmm. We dive into our identities, what's real, what's not. Where do we get those identities from? Why are we the way we are? We dive into our pain. Uh, we dive into our passion. And and then we look for chains. And more often than not, we find a lot of um, chains. And that's what I found in my life. Um, I spent a long time just wallowing in misery and pointing fingers so-and-so in such-and-such incident Um for, you know, to explain where I was in life, which was unsatisfied, um, extremely tired, extremely depressed and anxious about the future, just Mm -hmm. full of guilt and shame about the past. And um, I saw that unhappiness and I saw, I I felt just literally almost chained that I couldn't move. I couldn't step um, into my future courageously. So that's where it started from. It touches relationships, it touches career, motherhood, spirituality, um, um, you know, our passions. Really, none of ourselves um, are left um, un, un, um, just curiously. We, we, we look back to, to see where we get some of our beliefs and patterns from and we go from there. It's about liberating <laughs> ourselves, our true selves, into becoming really the best version of ourselves initially, you know, first and foremost, and most important, um, importantly for our own sanity and our own joy and to see and enjoy the rupture of life, but Mm -hmm. also for our kids and our partners and, um, um, you know, people who matter in life. And then, and then, um, the more the unchaining continues, the deeper, um, the soul searching goes, we're able to contribute into the better Mm -hmm. betterment of the human race altogether. Yeah. Wow. That's powerful. Um, so was there a turning point where you, you know, had to address those things in yourself? Like, what was that moment of, um, looking at yourself instead of looking outside of yourself to kind of point the blame and say, I feel this way because X, Y, and Z around me. Mm -hmm. Um, what, 
like what caused you to look inside yourself? Was it someone pointing that out to you? Was it something that led up to that? And you kind of doing that dive inward? Um, like what was that process or, or turning point? Um, very powerful question. It really, it, it was and it wasn't a turning point per se. It wasn't just one point in my life. It, were, it, it was many things that led to this place of feeling so fed up and so mm-hmm. tired and so um, um, just um, exhausted from all the negative self-talk and all the broken friendships and broken relationships and um, um, just, you know, many, 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 many wreckages really um, Mm -hmm. from different parts of my life. And it really was simple math when I think of it. I Mm -hmm. was forced, really forced to face myself because I, uh, there was one uh, specific time where I moved from, um, you know, I lived in Maryland almost the whole time that I was in the U.S. for the past, um, you know, I, I moved here about 10 years ago. And the majority of those years I lived in um, Silver Spring, Maryland with, you know, I worked in D.C. And um, you know, there was a lot of chatter in my life, I thought, you know, the, the social life and the different friendships um, that I was in. And there was so much of people pleasing, so much of validation seeking from the outside world that I was doing. But for my unhappiness, like I said earlier, I was blaming those people or even my parents or my culture or my upbringing. So I decided to get up and move to North Carolina. I wanted to go um, you know, into a pharmacy a program um, to become a pharmacist. Another, really, another journey yet to please other people or to prove some people wrong. Um, not because that was my passion, but... Mm-hmm. Um, that was my way of feeling valid or being told I was valid. And going there, um, even though at the time felt like a complete mistake and waste of time and waste of U-Haul money and gas and energy to pack up my things and, you know, to drive like for five hours. But sitting in the middle of nowhere in North Carolina in a program that did not fulfill me, that made me feel just beat up and that I wasn't really, go, you know, living um, my true purpose. I, um, and then the, the the new relationships and friendships I was forming there, I saw getting slowly getting diseased. It was mm-hmm. really pure math for me to say, I am the common denominator in this. Mm-hmm. I looked back at my life and I saw the different um, painful past, the different, uh, different junctions in my life. And how each time there was X, Y, Z to blame, but mm-hmm. that wherever you go, there you are really mm-hmm. applied to me. And I, I faced myself there. Um, and, you know, that's uh-huh. not where everything turned, but that's where the seed was planted. And I didn't have any distractions or anything to blame it on or to go numb myself with. But it was this severe depressive cycle that I went through that made me realized that the answers had to come from me because these painful junctions where um, they had me in common. Those yeah. uh, those failures had me and my thoughts in common. So I realized that going inside and unchaining myself from the inside out was the solution, not changing places, not changing relationships, not changing friendships or yeah. careers for that matter. Yeah. 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 That's so powerful. I love that you said um, you were forced eventually, right, to face yourself Um, because, you know, it's easy for us, I think, to see when other people 
are that common denominator. Like you're, you're looking at someone making terrible decisions over and over and over again. And you're like, why can't you just say that it's you, you know, <laughs> but mm. when it, easy. <laughs> it's right. But then when it's us, you know, you do kind of, it's, it's, you get to a point um, I think not everyone gets to a point um, where they're forced to see that it's themselves or they may, they may, but not take on that challenge of like, okay, it's me and let me do that work. Let me do some more digging and let me, you know, do a discovery session here and figure out, you know, how do I undo this or like you said, unchain, but like, um, I think it takes a lot of courage and strength and vulnerability to actually own it, right? Own up to it and say, wow, it's me. It really is me. Like I'm a common denominator. Like hearing you say that, wow. And on the flip side, as much of, as much as, um, or as much of a painful rude awakening that was, in a way it was also something giving me my power back because Mm -hmm. Imagine going into uh, going on, you know, um, through life, blaming things and blaming people and blaming others for where you are, how you feel, how you don't feel and all of that. That would mean the way out of that um, dreadful feeling and emotions and and situations are those people that you're blaming. Mm -hmm. Because if it's XYZ's fault, then XYZ are going to be the ones responsible to make you feel better, to make you act better. So in a way, knowing that I was a common denominator and the change had to start from me and remain with me gave me some sort of power. I can actually do something about it. It wasn't my ex's fault. It wasn't my mom's fault. So it gave me my power back. Right. That's powerful. I love that. Um, So do you think that your upbringing, um, because you said that um, some of the things that you struggled with were... Um, people pleasing and trying to prove um, that you were something or someone to others was that did that stem from your childhood did that stem from um, a relation you know your relationship with your parents or caregivers because um, I, I just from my own experience I could pinpoint certain, um, traits that I have and, you know, trace them to the way that I was raised, right? Um, or the way my relationship dynamic with um, my parents or my dad or, um, but I think that, you know, with you, like, every time I saw your post, of course, you know, that's what social media does. But every time I saw your post, I thought, wow, she's so strong and so courageous and so confident. And so, like, I always, you know, think like, oh, she must have had an amazing, like, childhood with really, like, supportive and loving parents. More specifically, her relationship with her dad must have been really strong and on point because those are the type of people that, you know, um, are persevering and they come out, you know, confident and strong and resilient on the other end. Um, And that's not always the case, obviously, but um, within your um, experience, like what was your relationship with maybe your father or both your parents, um, or caregivers? And did that have a role or, or play in, um, just your, um, people pleasing and maybe 
further just your ability to get back up and ha have strength and confidence on the mm -hmm. other end. Wow, another very powerful topic um, <laughs> to talk about. And you are right. We get a lot of our traits from the way we were raised. Call it nature, call it nurture, um, mm -hmm. call it something that has to do with genes but or like the way you were raised. And I would say yes and no to, to that. Um, okay. I was the last born or I am the last born of seven kids. So the big family, a large family. But especially compared to my siblings, I had a tight bond with my dad. That is um, very accurate. I had, you know, I've, I've always felt I could go to him with things. Mm -hmm. um, and he was almost my, my refuge because my relationship with my mom was really, really bad. Um, so, but he was still, you know, he taught me things like communication, because, you know, um, as his his job was, you know, um, and he worked for the government as public relations um, officer. And he was, you know, a very gifted writer. But also at the same time, he was chained by roles. He had to be mm. something in order to provide for this large family. And um, but, I, you know, I, our relationship brought out in a way his vulnerability, maybe because mm. I was a little girl. And maybe because I almost forced him to be open to, to, to embrace his, you know, I guess, feminine side. That's the nurturing side. <laughs> that's the listening side. Um, so he, yeah, you know, being able to, to go to him sometimes, you know, most times with complaints about my mom and he would listen mm -hmm. and really talk about you know, um, you know how my mom is and why she was the way she she was. You know, he didn't give me any answers that made sense, but at least that conversation being there, I think, really set my life on a different path than my siblings. And in a way, also, he tried to correct some of his mistakes. Like he was in, you know, around uh, at home a lot. He worked a lot and left all the parenting pretty much to mom. And mm -hmm. we both could see eye to eye and talk about how that was not the best thing to do because most of my siblings had these different expressions for the pain and the resentment they held because mm. of the way they were raised or because of their relationship with mom. Mm -hmm. um, and, and at the same time, the, my relationship with mom was also later in life that really gave me my courage that helped me worked on work on my courage to open up and to look at to really look at my life and why things were going the way they were because there was uh, so much mental you know there was mental illness undiagnosed and untreated mm -hmm. um, and there were traits that I could go back and say wow like I said so you know to myself I swore that I wasn't going to repeat her life because I saw so much guilt and mm -hmm. resentment and regret, regret and pain that she really couldn't express. Um, mm -hmm. And that showed in many different things and many different, you know, negative uh, um, uh, things as, when it came to her relationship with us. And I saw so much of her untapped potential because yeah. she thought her worth could only come from having kids. But she really mm -hmm. didn't have the tools to you know, raise kids in, in, in the 21st century. So mm -hmm. that difficult relationship that I had with her could have been, or, or you know, in a way c could be um, even more, uh, uh, you know, um, something I can credit even more 
um, yeah. than the relationship I had with, with, with him, with my dad, because I recognized in my regret, in my pain and my resentment of having gotten married young and having a kid young and then going through divorce, even though she didn't go through the divorce. But mm-hmm. I could could tell that the way I was feeling towards the way my life was, was very similar to what I saw my mom um, exhibit growing mm-hmm. up. And mm-hmm. instead of blaming her, instead of saying I turned out like this because of that or because of what she did or what she didn't do, um, going into myself um, empowered me to be able to change and even see her with so much compassion and so much love, understanding yeah. that she couldn't have given what she didn't have. Um, yeah. Really asking her, you know, mom to mom, woman to woman, asking her how those things made her feel. What were what was her childhood like? I never know. No one really bothered mm-hmm. to dig mm-hmm. into her childhood and the things that she didn't have um, or the, yeah. the, the things that were done to her. Because yeah. pain, you know, um, hurt people, hurt people. She she just literally passed on that pain to us because she did not know how to transmute it. So my relationship with her actually strengthened me to be able to cut that cord of pain, regret, resentment, and unlived potential and pass to my daughter, to my kids, to my stepkids, um, taking back your power and changing yeah. things and not just complaining about them. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That just gave me chills. (laughs) That is so powerful. Um, so I recently, um, uh, had a a blog post for, I think it was for women's month in March and it was called 35 questions to get to know the woman in our lives. Mm. And the purpose of that was exactly what you just said. We, I think in the Habesha community, um, revere our moms for the most part, I think, um, as these strong, hardworking, extremely selfless, Mm. um, almost to a fault, um, women who gave it all. And that's all we know. And that's all we can, you know, um, that's, it's, it's the most like, um, powerful image that we have of our moms. And, but we kind of we did we don't know the details like you said you know the yeah, things the that behind that role yeah yeah we we don't, nobody asked them first of all <laughs> um, but I I so anyways I wrote out these thirty five questions to to kind of start that dialogue with my mom and I'll I'll say like I'm really lucky I've always had a really great relationship with my mom um, and she's shared usually when she shares things she shares things it's um you know on topic to what's happening at the moment right but it's never from a point of how she felt or what she wanted or thought or you know wished she had or you know it's she just she's not trained I guess I should say I don't know what the word is (laughs) but you know just culturally they speaking that way is almost foreign to them right to ask them, how do you feel about, it's like, like rocket science to them. Like, what do you mean? How do I feel about this? Like, it's just, you know, like they're trained to, um, you know, or built to, um, take care of a family, have children, um, take care of their husbands and be the best moms and wives and, you know, friends and, you know, what daughters that you could ever think of. And, um, 
but all that other stuff in between of like their aspirations, their dreams, what, you know, something making them feel uncomfortable or hurt or just the emotional intelligence is like almost completely gone, right? Of like even being able to express that is hard. And that always, I remember that always made me feel a little uncomfortable growing up because I didn't want to ask her something that would make her feel uncomfortable because I've never, you know, saw that from her or got that from her. So um, it wasn't until I had kids of my own where I thought, dude, I want to know this part of my mom. <laughs> like, I, I want to know what she dreamed about when she was a young teenager. And, you know, what were her aspirations? What did she think she wanted to do? Or did she, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and even some of the things that went on in our family, um, you know, in our past, like, I really wanting to dive in and say, like, how did that really make you feel? Because you were strong on the outside and I know you know you were broken down on the inside but like just really wanting to just hear it from her um so I mean it's still like a work in progress um because you know everything is just put on that face like it's okay you just have to trust God you just have to you know you you got this you're strong you you can do this and everything will be okay just trust God you know and it's never you know um anything other than that so it's really hard to get that raw emotion um mm. from them but i i think that it it kind of does a disservice to us once we're adults because then we're like oh i have to have it all together and know all the right answers and do all the right things and not express this because then it makes me you know not a great mom or not a great wife um so it's challenging i think um just that cultural difference right yeah. Wow. Yeah. That that is very true. And <laughs> yes, the pressure is even more because they were raised and built, like you said, to be wives and mothers. Yeah. There really weren't any other expectations or avenues or oh. rights to express their human element um, in their lives, not just the you know the 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 reproductive centered right. roles, right? But we. Mm-hmm have had that privilege or have that privilege to be able to nurture and enhance the human in us on everything else. But then of course, we also want to get to that motherhood um, experience. And when we do, we feel the disconnect. Mm -hmm. We feel like, so do I end here? You know, does the human need here? And I become this thing that is supposed to feed, smile, nurture, be the emotional counselor, be the driver and all of that. Where does the human me go in all of this? And I think it's giving us the strength to really rumble with those difficult um, questions. And that's why we're seeking to to know them. There must have been something. There is something. Where was the you? Where was the vulnerability? What were your dreams, like you said? Mm -hmm. So um, I, I love that, you know, women like you and me, even with those pressures of being the best at our careers and also the best at uh, being moms and wives, we are saying, oh, hell no. You know, yeah. we need yeah. to ask difficult <laughs> questions. We have been lied to. There was something that was hidden from us. Yeah. So how do I now express my humanity and my hum- the human in me and yeah. also the other in me? So um, yeah. anyway, that's, um, that's, we're fortunate. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think um, you I love that you said we have the privilege because it is a privilege, right? To be live somewhere in a time, you know, in history where we as women could express those things and 
have the ability to do so and go after the things that we want, whether it's motherhood or career or, you know, any of those aspirations. So, yeah, we're very lucky. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So you kind of touched on mental health a little bit um, and just talking about about your upbringing. Um, Let's let's talk about mental health awareness and um, just your experience and then also what that looks like in the Habesha community. I know it's still a very, you know, big taboo thing to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, and we still have a long way to go mm-hmm. um, in, in talking the treatment of it. We're not there yet, but um, I love that you're so open and so vulnerable with your own experience. Um, so can you just share a little bit about your experience with mental health and um, – is that something that you grew up with, something you've kind of discovered in your adulthood or um, something you're still grappling with? Mm. Yes. Wow. That is, yeah, mental health is huge. It's very important. It's very sensitive. Um, and I, I'm, I'm glad um, I was given the courage to uh, be able to uh, uh, be, um, you know, someone that women can listen to or, and you know women and men can listen mm-hmm. to and know for sure that they're not alone that the you know w- what is wrong is the community's way of looking at it what is wrong yeah. is that we don't talk about it that we're not open about it and we're seeing the consequences of that unfortunately we're losing a lot of youth a lot of our youth to to um suicide a lot mm-hmm. of families just um um, you know, first generation, you know, mothers, fathers, not able to connect, not able to to to, to commune with their kids on those yeah. really deep and emotional levels. So um, I'm really fortunate to be able to do this. And, um, you know, I, I know this is my life's work. And, it, you know, looking back, everything that I went through makes so much sense. You know, I used to be so bitter about, you know, I knew that I wanted to write. I knew I was a creative, a teacher, a leader. From a very young age, like mm-hmm. I was elected to lead on you name, you name it in class. And I was the teacher's pet and everything. And um, I said to myself, like all my 20s, you know, the years of my 20s were just wasted trying to pursue a degree in that and a degree in this, because I thought being that was what um, I had to be or that was what I had to be in order to be validated. But looking back, I am, uh, you know, everything that happened um, as much as I thought I was going backwards and away from my true calling, I think everything, including the mental illness, my battle with mental illness was life giving me content and message. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, what was I going to write about? What was I going to read on or teach people um, from, uh, from, from what angle? Right. So I was giving content. I was being given discipline, strength, and empathy more than anything else to be empathetic towards people who are suffering in silence. So for me, really, I didn't know what to call it. I didn't know, you know, what the diagnosis was or why it came or what things I could do to um, live with it or be cured from it, whatever the case may be. I didn't know what it was until really I moved here in the U.S. and I lived out my my 20s and somewhere around the ends of my 20s was when I was opening myself up to 
um, to, you know, mental health and that it, it even existed and, you know, it was important. You know, mo most of us think the skin, the bones, the, you know, the parts that we touch is really all there is to our bodies, the, the parts that we don't see. And that's what, you know, the stigma of mental illness really stems from is that you can't see that it's not a broken bone it's not a you know a tumor it's not something that's you know that's uh, um, that bleeds or anything like that so people tend to discount it and so my um, experience with it really starts from my family seeing my mom and how you know how how she struggled with you know how she really didn't have true joy even from the out even though from the outside in people may think what a perfect family you know what a beautiful family so it started from that and and that um the trauma that she exhibited in the way she parented us um she mothered us really showed in most of my siblings lives in exactly you know that there were there was depression mm -hmm. there was anxiety um, um, there were, um, you know, suicide attempts and, mm -hmm. you know, as a little girl, I think I must've been seven or eight. Um, I remember drinking, um, hair oil thinking it would kill me. And, oh, wow. you know, looking back, I know that probably was a cry for attention, a cry for help, not attention, mm -hmm. like attention seeking, but it was a cry for help. It was, um, showing that I wasn't being loved the way something inside me told me I should have been loved. Um, mm -hmm. I wasn't being shown um, compassion and unconditional love from the one woman, you know, my, my, my heart knew I should have gotten those things from. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, my sisters tried to run away and there was just so much discourse. Um, mm -hmm. And I've always been, I, you know, I started being very curious about that. And when I was um, 20, I moved to Botswana to be with my um, boyfriend um, then and then later, um, soon after my husband. And I think I sought safety and validation from him. Mm -hmm. uh, we met first year of college in, in Jimma and that was it. My whole life became him, um, almost like a, like, like a refuge. Uh, mm -hmm. And I became a mom soon after. And that was really my first reckoning of depression, postpartum depression in the middle of nowhere in Botswana, no friends, no family. I did not know what was going on with my body. You know, what the hell is this? Mm -hmm. um, my, my son was born and I had this connection, but I didn't really have that connection. You know, I felt, you know, like you said earlier, we revere motherhood in a way that you're supposed to be this selfless and you're supposed to know exactly what to do for mm -hmm. what I didn't. So all of that really expressed itself in some deep, dark, um, depressive episodes. But um, I was, um, um, and that was also a phase of a lot of, you know, spirituality around me, you know, like really religion. Um, yeah. So I hid in that, you know, this is what God wants and I should be this and I should be that. So mm -hmm. I, I took my definitions of healing from um, what religious told, uh, what that religion in particular told me. Um, not, not until I came to the U.S. Um, and there was a suicide attempt that was triggered by a breakup, you know, someone who lived mm -hmm. through divorce. Um, couldn't really survive a breakup at the time. And something told me that was just a trigger. That really wasn't um, truly like a valid reason. I mean, I'm not saying there's any valid reason to to, yeah. uh, to to end your life, but the desperation came from 
some kind of deeper fear, some kind of deeper um, um, reason. So I um, didn't really seek therapy, but because of that suicide attempt, I was given an option to to go through uh, therapy and some medications. That really was the first time I gave it a name or, you know, I was given a name for it. Uh And I started reading about it and I started understanding what it was and, you know, how many different um, areas of our lives really contribute, even the neurotransmitters, even just simple biology, um, our physiology and how these chemicals are responsible for how we feel and how that balance is so um, sensitive, but so many things from the outside world also affect us. So I started being curious instead of really shutting myself um, um, and hiding from it. So that really opened the door for me. So I I started seeing a therapist on and off. The only thing that was missing really after that was the consistency. Mm -hmm. I I would, you know, go on, you know, a, a therapy and then some medication. And then the moment I felt better, I would stop. I would stop mm-hmm. seeing my therapist. I would start um, continuing on my antidepressants. So until really. Um, so did la- you, sorry yes. to cut you off. So when you discovered you had a name for this, mm-hmm. um, you know, you had a diagnosis. I'm guessing it was in a hospital setting that you were given mm-hmm. this diagnosis. Yeah. Um, did you share that with anyone with your your dad with um, siblings, a friend, was there anybody outside of, you know, you that had knowledge of your new diagnosis and your treatment plan? Not at the time, not at the time. There were friends um, Uh that um, I confided in, uh, but not at the time. Um, I have a sister who is a physician. I later on opened up to her and then she shared with me her postpartum depression, her, 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 um, struggle with that, which Mm -hmm. she didn't share with me prior to, to me telling her about mine. So, um, you know, paths were being created for these open conversations to be had, but Mm -hmm. very slowly because I had to understand it first. I had to accept it first that it didn't mean I was, you know, a bad anything or, um, that I didn't have God or it was uh, a lack of, um, strength, that I was just weak, that I was just a sad person, you know, all of those stigmas I had to first, um, contain and understand and unchain, uh, within myself before those conversations Mm -hmm. were opened up in a way, because, um, really every person that I started confiding in, I would think, oh my gosh, they're judging me. Um, oh my God, they're thinking Mm -hmm. I'm just sad and lazy. So, um, for a while, um, I didn't really, I didn't really open up in that, in that, in that fashion. So, um, so when I started opening up was really because I realized being vulnerable was synonymous with courage. I didn't think it was initially. I thought Mm -hmm. vulnerability meant weakness. And, you know, especially in the Habesha community, it opens you up to all sorts of judgment and all sorts of criticism. And I was afraid as a people pleaser, I was terrified of people thinking she's this and she's that and labeling me. Um, So I started writing about it just on my journal and writing is really my therapy. Uh, Journaling is really my, my, uh, the way I express my thoughts. So that started giving me a lot of, you know, solace and a lot of comfort. And I started thinking, 
um, especially after I started being um, um, uh, interpreting, actually not being, but I started interpreting in the Habesha community around DC, Maryland, Virginia, around courts and hospitals, and especially my court assignments got me really close to this dysfunction in our society. Mm-hmm. Uh, got me face to face with mothers uh, that I was, you know, hired to interpret for um, during a mental health committal hearing for their mm-hmm. teenagers, for their children, and how in denial they were, how they blamed all sorts of spiritual forces for it, um, wow. and not anything else. And I started slowly opening up, even though initially I thought this is not professional. Like I'm supposed to, <laughs> I'm, I'm trained to be, I was trained to be this furniture in the room that's just repeating words in a different yeah. language than um, she heard it um, through. But I couldn't mm. walk away. It was this pain that I was carrying when I walked away without saying, you should understand it from this angle. I was here too, you know, mm-hmm. or, you know, I continue to struggle with it. There is a way out. You need to connect with your child, those things. So I started slowly like giving them my, my, my number and like call me or one time specifically, I went to this psych um, ward where I had been hospitalized before to interpret mm-hmm. um, um, for this mother who was committing her, her, her daughter to um, a psychiatric evaluation because the, the daughter was not willing to do that. The mother just wanted her away from the house. She was just mm. sick and tired. And she, was, she would say things like the neighbors are talking, you know, uh, my family is, you know, being talked about and things like that. Her priorities were completely in their own place. And she yeah. was talking to me like, you know, oh my God, your hair is beautiful. Oh my God, your English is good. You know, all of this in Amharic. And I was like, this is an opportunity and I'm not going to pass it. She thinks I am, you know, this accomplished, beautiful, perfect girl. And she is basically telling me these negative things about her own daughter, who is almost the same age as me, because she has a mental illness problem and she doesn't understand it. So I told her, see that room over there? I used to be in there. That was my I was in that ward. I was in that room. And I told her how terrified I was not even about my illness or what I had to do to get better, but about the Ethiopian, um, the Ethiopian nurse <laughs> who would yeah. be on every night. I was worried about what she would say if she saw me outside um, a couple of months later. So I remember seeing this light, this wow, this aha moment, call it whatever, pop, um, and saying like she just wanted to know more. And I gave her my number and we started talking from there. So that gave wow. me like this mission to talk to as many people as I can openly. Um, and then my pain would be turned into purpose. And then, you know, I met my husband and we went through our own, you know, um, uh, giving love a second chance. Cause, cause he was also, he also went through divorce. We went through our issues and we started seeing a therapist and, um, he became, you know, the, the, the wind beneath my, my, you know, the wind beneath my wings. He, mm-hmm. he kept telling me I had to, 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 to go out and talk about this using my wow. gift of, of language, gift of word. And he was like, don't talk about us. You know, I'm not ready for that, but <laughs> you can not talk yet. <laughs> So that is really, I don't know if I answered your question, but that was yes. how I slowly got to the place where it became more painful and more, of a burden to remain tight in a bud than the risk yeah. of the blossom. That's one of my favorite quotes. Yeah. So yeah, I opened up from that angle. Wow. Wow. And 
Was that before you started unchaining me? That was really how I started unchaining me. The, the you know, mm. the, the, the uh, talking to uh, the mothers and the different people that I crossed paths with was, um, um, you know, really what fed uh, the need and the desire to start a blog. And, yeah. you know, we were somewhere in Ethiopia on vacation and we were like, let's, let's think about a name, you know, let's just start it wherever it may go. And yeah. he was asking me like, what do you want to express? And I said, how, how caged I used to feel and how free I feel now. And then, you know, the word unchaining me came and I need, I need to talk about this because the, really the unchaining, that term unchaining is really important because I myself struggled with feeling like I should be unchained, period. You know, yeah. I am yeah. talking about mental illness and that I, you know, defeated it. Um, I am talking about what I'm doing um, to, you know, raise the consciousness of the community and all of that. But last um, November, and we, me and you were scheduled to have uh, yeah. an interview, I felt, I started feeling these, I started sensing these signs these mm. telltale signs. And that's why I really want women to, to pay attention to those signs. Um, but I kept ignoring them because, you know, I was busy. My life was just full. I had become a new mom. My, you know, my marriage was, you know, going great, but I had family come, come here and there were, you know, financial issues that we hadn't straightened out. And my stepson moved. There were just so many things that were happening in life, but mm my blogging and my creating seemed to be my escape. I was not giving myself time. I was not continuing my antidepressants. I had not called my therapist for a while. And that descent, I was feeling it. I was sensing it. But I was burdened by this expectation. You know, I'm a blogger. Yeah. I am unchanging yeah. me. Like, women look up to me. People look up to me yeah. now. I inspire them. Therefore, I would, I'm just going to continue as if the chains are all broken. But that got wow. to me. that got to me at a point where my husband was like, "Babe, we need to seek help. We need to seek help." And yeah. I acknowledged it. I, you know, completely put a stop to everything else I was doing, and I went and sought um, really extensive help. Um, mm -hmm. I was I was out, you know, um, um, at a, a crisis care facility for a week. I have not talked about this anywhere yeah. else, not even on my uh, platforms, really. I stayed there and I really reflected upon what my intention was to do what I was doing and what it meant in reality in my life. And I found out that even though the theory and the experience was there, even though I knew what I had to do, I had fallen, fallen off that track of really taking care of my mental health. Yeah. Um, so I went back to the drawing board and um, there was really even this battle within me when I came back uh, to uh, blogging, do I share what was going on or do I just say, you know, took some time off, social media is getting to me, blah, blah, and just brush it right. aside. And right. the disconnect that that created, um, mm -hmm. how untrue it would be and how I would be modeling, um, really the opposite of vulnerability and courage. Yeah. Um, yeah. And people who looked up to me would feel that they needed to seem perfect yeah. um, um, and not true and, and, and vulnerable and courageous in that. So th that gave me even more power to bounce back from that. And I, yeah. to this day, I continue taking my antidepressants. 
I yeah. speak with my therapist every week. I have a group therapy for depression and anxiety, um, like recovering from de- depression and anxiety and maintaining that recovery. Um, I have a group uh, session that I attend every week. My yeah. kids know that I have a therapist and I talk to her. Um, you know, mental yeah. health has become um, a topic that we talk about. Uh, Good. Open, and we educate each other about. And I have gotten to the place of acceptance that I could, I should, I should be, or I may be taking this pill for some time. It doesn't mean for the rest of my life, but yeah. until my chemistry comes mm-hmm. to a harmonized, you know, a homeostasis, until yeah, yeah. I have enough coping skills that I practice on the daily that are going to be there when crisis hits, because crisis will hit. I right. will have those low moments again, and yeah, yeah. A depression is going to knock at my door again. So um, being, uh, being honest about that with myself really gave me my courage back. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Um, so what does talking to your kids about mental health, what does that sound like? What, how do you explain that to your young ones? Um, really, I, I say it the way it is, um, mm-hmm. you know, if there's news on TV, really, really, whatever triggers that conversation, mm-hmm. I do not, I, you know, I seize that moment. I do not let those moments pass. Mm-hmm. Um, if somebody committed suicide and there's something on the news, um, I ask them, do you know what that means? Uh, mm-hmm. why would, uh, kids or uh, people uh, try and end their lives? What do you think depression is? Is it sadness? Just because you feel sad today, does that mean you're depressed? You know, my son kind of used to throw that that term, like, I'm depressed, mom, because mm-hmm. of this or that. And yeah. I talked to him about what depression really is and how whenever they sense those signals of needing some guidance or some help, that they need to open up and seek it. That yeah. it's very important to not just care for their physical health, not just focus on achieving this and that, getting many degrees and this, as good as that right. is, their emotional intelligence yeah. directly connected to their mental health is crucial for yeah. the husbands they become, the daughter, the, the wives they become, the professionals they become, yeah. the parents they become. So Absolutely. It, is, uh, uh, it, is, it is common for us yeah. to talk about it or, or just emotions really, you know, yeah. how do you feel yeah. today? And it's okay to feel like that. Anger is not the issue. It's the way you react uh, when you're angry. That's the issue. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm not going to love you less because you're angry or you're disappointed, but we're going to have ways to express that. Is it yeah. writing? Is it painting? Is it, um, you know, running? These different coping skills are your best friends um, for a long time, not just when you're teenagers with these, you know, concoctions yeah. of hormones that you're Yeah, doing. yeah, yeah. So. No, and, you know, I'm I'm really happy that you said that. I'm happy that it is a topic that you talk about in your household. Um, I think it's important, well, I think interesting that you don't sugarcoat it with your kids because um, they're not that, that old, right? The, the oldest is 13. Yeah, the two oldest. Yeah, are are thirteen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean that's still pretty young. Um, and I think that it's it's interesting because in our culture, there's that idea that when you um, expose someone or kids to something, you somehow inadvertently are like, I don't know, um, kind of like casting that on them. I don't know if that's the right word, (laughs) but I know. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I remember doing that kind of, I mean, I think I still do that where I feel like I have to shield um, my, my kids, um, from everything. And even the news, like we don't watch the news it went around our kids because he's old enough now where he'll pick up certain words and he'll say, why did they say that? I thought that was a bad word. Why would they like, you know, and it made me feel very uncomfortable where I felt like, you know, they're not ready for that. But I think that, um, it's a great reminder that we can't protect them from, you know, the things that they hear and see because, A, they're going out into the world, they're going mm-hmm. to school, they're going to their daycares, they're going to see and hear things that we may not have um, had that opportunity to talk about at home. So I think it's really awesome that you said you do take that opportunity to talk about them when they hear them in the news or whatever it is, whenever it's happening in your family. Um, I think that's powerful. Um, one of the things that my husband and I always talk about um is just the emotional intelligence because i remember um my husband would say things like um you know make sure because you know my my son spends more time with me being a stay-at-home mom and so i remember my son like complaining or whining about something mm-hmm. <laughs> and my husband saying you know you you got to remember that you're raising a boy and you know it's not okay he can't talk like that or he can't like and i remember having to have that conversation and say hey you know like we want to raise emotionally intelligent kids, meaning we want them to be able to express how they're feeling, you know, when they're sad, when they're upset, when they're even angry, that's okay. You know, like you said, it's just how you react to those emotions. And um, ever since that topic, uh, you know, that discussion, we've been on board with that and um, both really try to give you know, more my five-year-old now because the youngest is only two, but like give him the space to talk about how he's feeling. And when he's angry, letting him cry it out and then let's talk about it when you're done, (laughs) which was so uncomfortable from, not uncomfortable, but like wasn't like, and my husband wasn't enthused about that at the beginning. He was like, really? You just want him to cry about that? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm like, yes, it's good for him. Just let him cry. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, but put a limit on it. Don't let him just cry all day and like, so now, so now our thing is like, okay, you have, you know, five seconds or 10 seconds to cry about it. And then we're going to talk about it, you know, and mm. this is not like, like, these are more like, um, so-and-so took my toy or, you know, mm-hmm. things like that, but it starts there, you know, that's, that's when right they there. start to, <laughs> yeah. and then he'll be 17 and it will be so-and-so took my girlfriend. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. We definitely need to exercise caution, but having them face and feel their emotions does not mean having them stay there. This is definitely, um, 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 I don't know what the time limit would be. I think it depends on what the situation is and, you know, really their personalities too. They, you know, these Mm -hmm. are souls that we need to guide as they experience the fullness of life and the fullness of life is not having your toys all the time is not, being happy and joyous all the time is not great relationships and friendships all the time. So when those negative moments, I mean, like when those not so pretty moments happen, Mm -hmm. what do they do? What you resist persists. So if they resist feeling their emotions, it's not going to go away. Those emotions are going to get bottled up. And then Mm -hmm. the moment they, they just need to be expressed, it comes out, you know, as an avalanche of, of those emotions, which would be destructive. 
So the caution is really important, even with exposing them to or talking about mental illness and current affairs is concerned, we definitely need to exercise caution. We need to be able to be in tune with um, what their little minds, their little hearts can handle, um, mm-hmm. give it to them in bite-sized um, um, you know, ways of dealing with it. But the thing is, we're not raising them in a cushioned world. We are yeah. raising them in a very complicated time. And information, I heard a, a statistic, statistics the other day that shocked me. Like on average per day, the amount of information we consume was what our mothers and fathers consumed in a year. Um, wow. <laughs> if you go all the way back um, wow. to, you know, the, the, the 1920s or something, uh, people consumed that kind of information in their lifetimes, um, <laughs> not even just a year or something. So they are going to be, it's going to be at their fingertips. So I wouldn't want my son to read about suicide on Reddit. I don't want my son to learn about sex from Google and porn. I right, want right. to be able to give him guidance at the age, because they show you when they're curious enough. You know, yeah, when yeah. they're not ready for it, they're not curious about it. When they're mm-hmm. curious about it, though, we are responsible to just guide them, not define it for them, but guide them in the way that they can go and explore it themselves, right? All yeah. these ideas. So... Um, yeah, the, the reality is that it's all over and they will find a way to tap into that information outside. And when they do, we're not going to have the, the chance to, to, to funnel the right mm-hmm. information into them. Yeah, yeah. That's such a great point. Oh, parenthood. <laughs> oh, parenthood. I'm, I'm doing my podcast on guilt um, today. Mm, yeah reading about it and I was like oh wow like we expect ourselves to be so perfect yeah and yeah. we can't be and it's just such and to know all the answers right to know, to know all, all the answers all the time yeah yeah, yeah I like to it's think kids are as our spiritual teachers really you know even, oh, even yeah. the way that they poke our egos and um and and, and stuff like that so yeah yeah. Gotta be easy on ourselves. Yes. So we kind of veered a uh, yeah. <laughs> um, we kind of veered a little. Um, but I kind of so you said earlier that you had some signs that you um, you know, that were signaling you. Mm-hmm. Um, and and kind of like let you know, okay, I'm kind of going down that path again. Mm-hmm. What were some of those signs just for our listeners who um, and maybe battling with depression or maybe um, just quietly fighting that? And um, what are some some of those things that we could maybe look for that say, hey, you know, maybe it's time you um, call your therapist or, you know, reach out to a friend and, um, find out how you can get more help mm-hmm. or find a therapist, you know, or, or find one. Yeah. 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 Um, so the signs, the, uh, there are many signs and I don't want them. I don't want to limit my response to only the signs I saw and felt within myself, mm-hmm. but going through, you know, therapy and reading so much about mental illness, I know what, you know, those general signs are. So I'm, I'm going to put in, you know, my signs, but also add, other other ones so here's here's just a concise list of things sure, to sure. look for um, or to watch out for so if you're struggling 
to accept what's going on. That's a good sign to look into where your mental health is about what's going on. Um, I did a podcast on radical acceptance. That's one of my favorite things to, to try and practice. It's not always easy because our knee-jerk reaction is to negate whenever something's not going the way we want it to go. You know, start mm -hmm. from coronavirus and being stuck at home in quarantine. That is something nobody would be laughing and smiling and being grateful to accept. But yeah. just accepting reality as it is, it does not make you complacent. It does not make you lazy. It does not mean it's going to take your power away to change, but it actually gives you enough power to change things that you actually can control and change. So, uh, you know, when we're fighting to accept what is or what has happened already that we can do nothing about, that's a good sign. Because if you're yeah. not at one end friendly with the moment, with the present moment, joy and mental health and, you know, being stable are not going to be things that are available for you. Um, excessive worry, fear and anxiety, you know, anxiety and fear are completely natural and moderation. Those things keep us, you know, um, active, keep us, um, you know, on the lookout for things that may harm us or our families. It means you're going to make sure you wash your hands for 20 seconds. It's going to make mm -hmm. sure you wear your gloves and your, 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 um, um, masks. But when it's excessive, I think we know what that looks like for each of us, just constantly worrying, constantly being anxious, paranoia level fear is something to watch out for. And then the mood changes, but those that are extreme. I mean, um, we have mood swings different times of the month. There's hormones that are responsible for those. Our bodies are very, I mean, you know, you, you have a medical background. Mm -hmm. You know exactly how those things work and how intricate the balance, the harmony is. Those are natural to have those changes. But when they're extreme, when we are feeling extremely on top of the world one minute and then the next couple of hours we are just crying and bawling our eyes out, those um, sporadic changes, um, extreme changes. Um, if we are avoiding people and social activities, I mean, in quarantine, you don't really have to do much to avoid social interactions. Yeah. But um, uh, social distancing does not mean being socially distant. I actually found out that it's making me form even deeper connections with people who actually matter in my life instead yeah, yeah. of the very many acquaintances that tend to just chip away at your time and energy. Mm -hmm. um, but I actually have deeper connections with those people who truly matter. But if you are going out of your way to avoid interaction with other people, even people who live with you, if you're locking yourself in rooms and not wanting to talk, those kind of um, behaviors definitely signal something that's not all all right um excessive excessive being you know excessively sad or excessively low if you're catastrophizing things one of my other favorite terms because i do i did that all the time you're mm -hmm. just ruminating on things in the past and then you're predicting things that you have no idea you know how they would happen but it becomes a catastrophe. You think of some, you know, you, these are, you know, cognitive distortions, really. Yeah. You, yeah. You, you look at someone who knows you, who didn't wave at you. And then before you know it, you're saying, I'm never going to make any friends um, mm -hmm. because people ignore me or I'm ignorable or things like that. So if you're catastrophizing things a lot, if you have changes in your sleeping habits, too much, too little, if you have uh, changes, uh, sporadic changes in your eating habits, sudden changes in your sex drive, um, too much or too little. 
Um, so, I mean, someone may uh, argue there's no there's no such thing as too much sex, but <laughs> <laughs> if your habits are suddenly changing, um, yeah. of course, suicidal ideation, suicidal planning, or if you're trying to act out ending um, a plan to end your life, um, confusion and anger, um, and extreme irritation with others. So all of those things um, we need to pay attention to and you know, one thing of from this list may not mean you're depressed. Right. Uh, you know, so just being cautious with um, just curiously looking at our behaviors. Aristotle said the, you know, the, 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 the most important intelligence or the highest intelligence is to be able to watch ourselves and our behaviors without judgment. Because if judgment follows, we're not going to do much. We're not going to do anything. It keeps us stuck if we're judging it. But curiously and with interest look at how we are so that whatever we find we can use to affect some kind of change I love that I love that quote uh, me too me too beautiful uh, um so what you so you talk about unchaining as a process mm-hmm. um and you know it's it's not something that um happens overnight and once you've unchained maybe a particular area or um you know trait or habit it doesn't mean that you know your your journey is is complete like you said earlier it's a a a process a long process but where does one even start that process of unchaining um, and what does it look like for you and even for our listeners who are curious about that process and how, you know, they can start that type of self-work? What does unchaining look like? Great question. It starts really with curiosity and recognition. It's, you know, you cannot start changing, affecting anything if you don't recognize it first and, uh, you know, um, um, admit that it's there, that mm-hmm. things are not, you know, I'm, I'm not as happy. I'm not fulfilled. I am mostly angry. I am enraged a lot of times. My relationship there is suffering. My friendship there shows so- signs of, um, you know, toxicity. Recognizing and almost saying it to yourself that such thing is in such a way is the biggest, most powerful step you can change, you can take towards changing it. Because most of us live in denial. Most of us live in showing this, you know, curated content of our mm-hmm. lives that uh, that make us feel, you know, successful or beautiful or or happy. Um, and in the look that make us look. Um, successful mm-hmm. or happy in the eyes of other people. We're spending so much time curating that we are taking time and energy and focus away from actually addressing what's happening and addressing starts from recognition. Notice the patterns in your life. Notice the patterns of your self-defeating talks and thoughts, you know, the mean girl in you. Yeah, <laughs> notice yeah. that um, and notice it without judgment, judgment-free curiosity. And the next step would be 
gather some information. Be curious as to why you are the way you are, as to why those patterns are repeating. Why am I talking to myself in a negative way so much? You know, mm -hmm. I used to, I used to, I, you know, I said to myself once, I am so nice to others. I walk on eggshells and try to make sure I protect their emotions. But boy, the way I talk to myself is yeah. like, if I knew anybody who talked to anybody like that, I would run away. But yeah. I talk to myself so easily and so many times during the day. Oh, there you go again. Oh, look at you. <laughs> Typical. You know, mm -hmm, I talk mm -hmm. to myself in those ways. So being curious about why you do that, where is that coming from? Um, you know, do you need to pay attention to your mental health right now? Are there some habits that, that you may you may want to change? Who went through it? What are people that, you know, who are the people you can look up to? What podcasts can you listen to? What, what books can you read? Um, yeah. um, and you're making a move into, uh, you know, from acceptance of what is, you're making a move into preparing yourself to change and silencing that inner critic and, um, um, uh, and setting your intentions, setting intentions to change. What is your yeah. why? And um, the next step is going to be committing to healing. You need to commit for your for your sake and the the quality of the relationships you form in life you need to commit to constantly um um peeling those layers of you that were just subconsciously piled one on top of the other and seeing what's there for you to learn yeah. from for you to unlearn for you to learn again or you know start from scratch and write something different for yourself from what you've been taught um therapy medication you know, I used to be, oh, I'm only going to defeat this with, you know, holistic approaches because, you know, I, I, I mm -hmm. uh, abandoned a path on, uh, uh, you know, a path to pharmacy because of many, many uh, reservations I have about the pharmaceutical industry. Um, mm -hmm. You know, as, as great as pain medication and, you know, um, antibiotics have been for the human race, we can argue many of the chemicals we are told to put in our bodies cause more, more harm than good in some yeah, ways. Yeah. But if it means helping your body chemistry get to a healthy leveled state, if it means getting rid of those suicidal ideations, if it means getting you out of your bed and giving you your life back, these medications are powerful. These medications can help. You're not going to get hooked on them. It doesn't mean till death do us part. There will yeah, be yeah. a time when with um, um, uh, uh, planning, careful planning with your uh, provider, you can be weaned off of those medications. Um, yeah, yeah. There are medications you can take during pregnancy um, that don't cross the placenta. Uh, there are, you know, medications you can take during breastfeeding that don't go into your lactation system. Just that curiosity and research is going to open your eyes to many things. And it's also a mix of different therapeutic paths. It's medication and therapy. It's medication mm -hmm. and um, um, meditation. You know, um, I love um, um, uh, being mindful, being present. Those, those um, um, habits are going to come to you. Like, you know, when the, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. People who are going to help you will show up in your life the moment you recognize there are things to change and you have a curious and intentional approach, not judgmental, to towards changing them. Gratitude journal is something that gave me a whole 
new perspective in life. My mind was sticking its 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 claws into all the negatives and then finding even more negatives because that's what our brains do. If you're thinking yeah. of buying a red car, your brain is going to show you every red car in that traffic okay. jam. If you're thinking mm-hmm. of blue stilettos, you'll see blue stilettos everywhere. So <laughs> yeah, I had to train my mind to uh, by writing a gratitude journal every day that things are well too in my life and then there's more to be grateful for than complain about. So this is the process really I would recommend people to, to, to dive into. Yeah, I love that so much. That's so amazing. Um, I love the gratitude journal. That's something that I started doing um, in, in my 20s actually. <laughs> Um, that was when I was first introduced to this whole philosophy of just enlightenment and conscious living and mindfulness and, um, you know, reading Eckhart Tolle and oh. um, Marianne Williamson, just diving really, really deep into that world. <laughs> um, but it really opened up my eyes because um, I didn't real, I didn't know um I didn't know what I didn't know, basically. Um, and one of the things that I learned was that the way that I was thinking wasn't the right way. Um, I very much so um, had a very negative, um, mi- like not a negative mindset, but it was a very judgmental mindset. And so, you know, everything was, well, that's probably not going to work then, or, you know, I'm probably not going to be able to do that because X, Y, and Z, or I'm not good enough for that, or I would never be able to get into that program or blah, 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 you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it wasn't until I just kind of like dove into some of that work that I realized um, that a lot of that stems from my childhood and what I heard growing up, or maybe um, even though I was pushed to greatness and always told like, hey, you know, like you're being provided all these opportunities and um, we've done all this for so that you can have a better life and blah, blah, blah. It was it was also met with a lot of like um, comp- and um, judgment, and, you know, look at so-and-so because so-and-so um, is doing it way better or so-and-so got better grades or so-and-so got into this school and so like you know a lot of comparison and and so I immediately like you were talking about the neuro pathways in our brain and you know like one of the reasons why my mind always went there was because that's all I heard growing up (laughs) not all I heard but I heard that a lot growing up and so I didn't even know I was doing it and um, it wasn't until I really could like trace that back to you know those um, moments in my childhood that I could really say like wow okay let me every time that mind comes or that thought comes to my mind let me um, you know, say this instead. And um, even starting to do like affirmations, like positive affirmations. Mm-hmm. Um, I do those with my kids now because I really did learn how powerful our mind was and how powerful our internal dialogue was. And it really just completely, I, I want to say that changed the trajectory of my entire life because I began to go after things that I never thought I would have the courage to go after or things that I didn't think I would be good enough for or even succeed in. Mm-hmm. And um, it really just started with my mind and what I said to myself. Um, it just, it, 
it really just completely changed my life in ways that I can't even explain to you. Um, and I practice that now with my kids. We Even my two-year-old, um, every night we say just simple things, you know, like, I am strong, I am brave, I am smart, yeah. I am beautiful. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, it's it's powerful. And I think that, you know, as an adult now, I, you know, of course have come – to make peace with, you know, a lot of the parenting decisions mm-hmm. <laughs> um, for my parents because, you know, I had to tell myself, you know what, they did with what they could with what they had. So, you know, I had to kind of let that go as part of my healing process too of like not holding any type of resentment, mm-hmm. um, you know, towards any of their parenting decisions or, you know, way that I was brought up. But um doing that inner work myself and just realizing, okay, I still have that. Um, I have the tools to, to change something inside of me. Um, and yeah, it's, it's just been an amazing journey, which is why I'm so drawn to your platform and what you're doing, um, in the Habisha community, because, you know, you know, when you do the self, um, self work and, you know, that type of, um, when you do that type of work, it's when you meet other people in the Habisha community who kind of have been on that journey as well. It's like, oh, like you automatically like connect to them, right? You're so drawn to them. You're like, oh my goodness, I love this. Mm -hmm. And the fact that you are taking your experiences and your journey, especially with your mental health experiences and sharing that Mm -hmm. is so powerful to me. Like, it's just, incredible like I know you have already touched so many people's lives and changed their lives and I'm just excited for you to continue to do that work and continue to encourage women in our community men and women um, especially the young people in our community like I hope that um, your your platform will continue to just reach um, the hundreds and thousands of them, millions of them, and um, hear your story because it makes a difference when someone like you who looks like you says all the hard stuff and is vulnerable and shares their experiences because it makes you feel like you're not alone but also normalizes it a little bit. Um, It removes that taboo element from it and makes you feel like, oh, okay, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm okay. Um, So thank you for sharing your story and your experiences. Um, Keep keep it up. Keep shining. You're doing such an incredible job. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much. And I'd like to say the same to you. I love the platform you've created for mothers to be able to come and share really what motherhood looks like, the reality of it, the good, the bad, the ugly learn from each other's, um, you know, journeys, learn from each other's information and knowledge. I have never seen any kind of platform like that for mothers, Ethiopian, Eritrean, Amharic speakers, non-Amharic speakers alike. And I absolutely love the conversations that are on there and how you moderate those conversations to make sure they are respectful and mindful of each mother's journey, each mother's feelings. I think women are nation builders. Yes. Uh, literally nation builders Um, and to 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 be able to to build each other first is extremely important because we're not taught and built in a way that we feel we are worthy of investing um time money 
energy mm-hmm. into the betterment of our own selves. We're busy giving, we're busy helping, we're busy raising, we're yeah. busy loving. So your platform does wonders for for this purpose, for this message. And I absolutely adore, adore thank it. You. So thank you for what you do. I know it takes a lot <laughs> to manage and may look easy from the outside, but taking time away from your families, your weekends, your hours, to create uh-huh. content, to moderate that those contents and run that page. It take I know it takes a lot of time. So thank you. Thank you so thank much you for, for saying that. I appreciate it. <laughs> it's my pleasure. Yeah. So one last question for you, just to kind of close it off um, to me. Um, for the mom who is listening right now and quietly fighting a battle with depression, anxiety, any other mental health um illness and maybe never put a name to it maybe never you know sought help for it maybe all along has known exactly what it is but afraid to seek help because of our cultural you know taboos and um you know just the stigma that goes along with mental illness in our community um what would you say to that mom who is listening and exactly in that place right now the first thing i would say is it's okay it's okay. Mm-hmm. It's okay. What you're going through is okay. It is, you matter. That really is what, what I wanted to say first. You matter. Your thoughts, your feelings, your struggles, your pain, um, your wants, your dreams, they all matter. And society somehow, uh, unfortunately, has shown us that um, that it thinks we don't really exactly matter, um, mm-hmm. other than the few roles that we're expected to 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 perfectly and so you know m- 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 you know ma- majestically carry. So all those burdens, all those expectations, unmet um, expectations or uh, untapped potentials that you carry, they all matter, and your presence in this world matters. Your your pain matters. There is help if you open up and seek help. There is courage and vulnerability. There is courage in saying, I need help or I want help. I don't, you know, you're not expected to know and care for yourself during such a dark time where um, there are many things happening in your brain, many things happening in your body, and there are professionals out there. There is help out there. Um, You are not alone. And there's nothing wrong with you. Um, these are things that can and will heal, can and will get better. What is required out of you in order to make that happen is first recognize where you are and know that there is no, um, um, there is, there is, you know, it means, it, it means nothing about who you truly and actually are um, um, as a human being. Your experiences, your um, you know um, uh, uh, upbringing, your uh, like I said, those unmet uh, unmet expectations and the uh, uh, untapped potentials. There are many reasons why you are feeling the way you are, and there is a way out. So, in seeking help and asking for help, the same way you would ask for it. Um, if you needed help with, you know, caring for your kids, if you needed help for, um, you know, losing weight, you would you would hire a, a personal trainer. If you broke a bone, you would go to a doctor to get that fixed. If you had heart issues, you would go to a, a cardiologist. There is nothing 
um, that should stop you from going and seeking help, talking about your emotions, talking about your issues, your wants, your needs, and how you can be better equipped to care for your mental health. And from one woman to another, from one mother to another, from one human to another, I see you, I love you, and I wish you all the best. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Motherhood at Your Best. I appreciate all the love and support, so please don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and let me know your thoughts. Remember, don't succumb to the pressures of life because you got this, mama. I'll see you soon.